Well, come on, Redemption. Hey, let's give God a shout of praise. If you love Jesus, make some noise right now. Amen, amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you are a guest, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege uh, to be able to lead Redemption Church. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are a guest, you picked the perfect Sunday to come to church because we are continuing our series that we are calling We Are Redemption, which is a walk through each of our core values here as a church. Things that shape us, that define us, and it's how we experience life change through Jesus. When you walked in the lobby today, you saw on the wall, it says in real big, bold black letters, life change through Jesus. That's why we exist as a church, to help people experience life change that only comes through Jesus Christ. And I just got to tell you that this year, a whole lot of life change has happened at Redemption you think, what does life change look like? Here's what life change looks like. Life change looks like people finding hope, people discovering God. Life change looks like relationships going deeper. Life change looks like kiddos being invested in to grow up and transform the next generation. Life change looks like uh, people getting married, people getting engaged, marriages getting back together. Life change looks like addictions that are being broken. Life change looks like breakthroughs happening in people's lives. Life change looks like answered prayers and miracles and healings and testimonies. Life change looks like what God is doing here at Redemption Church. Hey, if you've experienced some life change, just go ahead and give God a shout of praise right now. Take, take five seconds and do a little praise break. He is good. A whole lot of life change has happened this year. Let me just go ahead and tell you some things that God has done in 2022. It's, it's almost the end of the year. Christmas is coming. Ready or not, Christmas is on its way. And every parent in the room just freaked out a little bit, right? Because you ain't ready. You ain't ready. Like, you got to go home tonight and get that Amazon list ready. You got to check that list. You got to check it twice. Figure out if your kid's been naughty or nice, right? Christmas is coming. Like this week is Thanksgiving and I showed up the other day at home and our Christmas tree was up and Christmas music was playing at the house. And I told Ashley, I said, hey, Ashley, it's too early. We ain't even had Thanksgiving yet. You're already trying to skip ahead to Christmas. And she was like, well, if Thanksgiving wanted its day, it'd write better songs. There ain't no Thanksgiving bangers. So I'm going to listen to some Christmas music up in this place, right? But at the end of the year, here's what I like to do. I like to practice an attitude of gratitude. I like to take a moment and just, and just thank God for everything that he's done in this year as I reflect, because I'm also going to be looking forward to what God is going to do next. You know, we say every year that the best is yet to come, and I believe that's true. And 2022 has been a banner year for us here at the church but also 2023 is going to be even better. And so I'm believing God for big things, but that starts with thanking God for what he has already done for us this year. Let me just read to you some things, celebrate some opportunities of, of life change that has taken place here at Redemption. And I'm going to read some statistics from this year. And when you get excited, you can clap, you can cheer, you can applaud, you can shout, amen, hallelujah, praise him. But this year we have baptized 80 people as a church. Come on, 80 people. And we have baptism service on December 11th and we already have 15 people signed up for baptism. That means that we could baptize 100 people in one year as a church. How crazy is that? I remember just the first three years asking God that 100 people would show up and we would baptize a hundred people in a single year. That's incredible. How about this one? We've had 495 connect cards filled out in the first 10 months as a church. 495 first-time guests who have said, you know what? I want to I wanna get connected here at Redemption. And that's 11 connect cards per week. But here's where it gets fascinating is that over this year, we still have one more next steps left to go, but we have already had 125 people go to next steps this year alone. 125 people want to get connected in the church to be in a small group and to be on a serve team to plug in and to find life at redemption. This is why it's so fascinating. It's because 
The average church in America, according to the Church Multiplication Network, which is the network we're a part of, in our trainings and coaching, here's what we, what we show, is that the average church in America, first time guest to actually being connected in the church is 6%. 6% of first-time guests at an average church get connected into the life of that church. At Redemption, we have had 25% of first-time guests go through Next Steps. That is phenomenal. That is That just goes to show not only what God is doing here, but it shows the people that call Redemption home. That from the, from the parking lot to the pulpit, people feel welcomed, they feel seen, they feel heard and valued and important. There's a reason that people come back to church. And it's not because of my sermons. It's, it's because of the people, that people find other people that they can connect with and do life with. And people find hope in this place. And so thank you. But here's the one that I'm most excited about is that, is that this year, we have actually been able to give away over $60,000 to missions so far this year. That's amazing. That's amazing. Twice this year, I have got to cut the biggest check I've ever wrote in my life. Twice. See, in July, we wrote a check for over $10,000 to the Hope Women's Resource Clinic to support, uh, to support crisis pregnancies and single mothers. And I thought, this is the biggest check I've ever cut. And then this week, I actually got to cut a bigger check while we gave away 500 turkeys to families in need in Southeast Texas. That is incredible. And it's all because of your generosity, over $12,000 given back into our community. We were able to have over 7,500 pounds of turkey, 500 turkeys given away. That is amazing. Thank you, Redemption. Because what we teach here is that we, we believe in tithing here at the church. 10% first and best given back to the Lord. And so we teach tithing here at Redemption, but we would never ask you to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And so 10% of our budget goes back into missions, local and global. It goes into church planting, nonprofits, and into outreach. And so this year we are at over 10% of our annual budget has been given back to the mission and the kingdom of God. Praise Jesus for you guys. And here's why this is so incredibly exciting. You know what it shows me? Redemption Church, you're doing the stuff. That we ain't just playing church up in here. No, we are the church. You're showing me that you're not coming here just to be entertained, but you're being equipped, you're being empowered, and you're taking the, the message and the mission of God, and you are sharing it around the world. Praise Jesus for you. It just goes to show me what type of church God is building here in Southeast Texas. And here's what it shows me is that if you call Redemption home, for all the members here, you know it because we say it all the time, that life change is a lifestyle. You're living the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you got to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And life change is a lifestyle. These core values that we're walking through, you're living out all of these core values. I mean, so much so, like, I don't even know if I need to preach this sermon anymore. Like, we can just go home, right? Because you're doing the stuff. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the sermon anyway because, because I want us to keep doing the stuff. Because, because I'm going to give you a list of each one of our core values. And here, here's what you need to know, is that life change is a lifestyle. These are not to-do lists. These are to-be lists. What are our core values? Let me give them to you up front. Worship, community, evangelism, serving, and generosity. Like if you do these five things, you will experience life change. If you incorporate these five things into the daily ribbons and the, the, the habits and the, the practices of your life, I guarantee you, over time, you will begin to experience life change. But you got to understand that these are not to-do lists. They are to-be lists. These do not describe us, but rather these define us. We are worshipers. We are a Christ-centered community. We are evangelists. We are servants. And we are generous because we are redemption. It's not just something we put on the wall, but it's a message that God has placed inside of our hearts. It's not something that God has called us to do. It is who God has called us as a church to be. Because life change is a what? Lifestyle. 
So today we're going to continue in our third of our core values, and that is evangelism. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 6, and the sermon title is called, How Does Evangelism Lead to Life Change? Now, this one is incredibly important, because raise your hand if you know or love somebody who does not yet know or love Jesus. Raise your hand. Every hand in this place should be raised. For all the, for all the Pentecostals, you raise two hands. Okay, all the, all the Southern Baptists, you just gave me a little head nod. But I know every person in this room should know and love somebody who does not yet know and love Jesus. That's why evangelism is incredibly important. Because you want to see that empty seat next to you filled with somebody that you know and love. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your brother, your sister, whoever it may be, that there is an empty seat near you or next to you that you want somebody to come and know and love Jesus. That's why evangelism matters because it's sharing our faith. It's telling people about who Christ is and what Christ has done in our lives and believing that God wants to do the same thing in theirs. But here's also what I know is that not everybody is comfortable when it comes to sharing their faith that a lot of people feel awkward, intimidated, don't know how to start the conversation, kind of worried what happens if they say no. And so what I want to do today is I want to encourage you, I want to bless you, I want to motivate you, I want to put a little steel in your spine, I want to put a hope in your step, I want to give you some encouragement when it comes to sharing your faith with others. And so if you have your Bible, what we're going to do is we read Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to give you 11 lessons from the life of Jesus about personal evangelism. I know what you're thinking right now. You just leaned over to your neighbor and you're like, did he just say 11? Is he going to preach an 11-point sermon? Yes, because I get paid by the point. There we go. And Christmas is coming and I got to buy some presents for my kids, all right? I get paid for the point, and you get what you pay for, and this sermon is free. So there we go. Let me read it all up front, and then we'll break it down on the back end. And he, who's he? That's Jesus. Why? Because it starts with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Life change comes through. It's all about Jesus. He called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing on their journey except for a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. They could wear one shirt, but they couldn't wear two shirts. Maybe they could wear no shirt. I don't know, but they couldn't wear two shirts. Three shirts? Nope, just one shirt or no shirt. And he said to them, whenever you enter into a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if... Wherever you enter in a house, stay there to depart there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust, shake off the haters that is on you, your feet as a testimony against them so that they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. Now, before we dive into these 11 lessons or reasons that you should share your faith, I have to start off by talking to you about why it is important for you to share your faith. That why question is so important. My daughter, she's five years old. It's her favorite question. Daddy, why? Daddy, daddy, why? 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 I'm like, why do you keep talking? Like, why do you keep asking me that question? Like, daddy, daddy, why? Like, she wants to know, why do I have to go to school? Daddy, why, why, why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to take a bath? Daddy, daddy, why do bears have hair? Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. If Fuzzy Wuzzy had hair, why do bears have Hair, daddy, why? Daddy, why do you and mommy lock the door at night? Why? And I'm like, there's just some things you will learn when you get older. But that why question is so important. And when it comes to sharing our faith or evangelism, it's so important for us to know why we do it. Because you don't know why we do it, you won't do it. You won't do it for very long. You won't know how to do it if you don't know why we do it. I think evangelism is so incredibly important in our day and for our church. Let me share with you some reasons why. Because a lot of people, they, they just think, well, Christianity's fine. We're a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. My grandma was a Christian. Her mom was a Christian. My, my granddaddy was a Christian. I mean, everybody that I know, I mean, they all believe in God. I guess everybody's Christians. And we can think that, that everything is on the surface going well. You know, I read a statistic this week that said that for every one McDonald's, there is 27 churches. Okay, I drove past two McDonald's on my way to church this morning. That represents 54 churches that I drove past just to be able to get downtown. And on the surface, we can look around and say, well, I guess the church in America is doing fine. But then when we dig a little bit deeper, we realize that not everything is the way that it seems. 
Just week, this week, there was a big giant Pew Research study on religion that came out. And here's what this, this study showed about the decline of Christianity in America, that in the 1990s, 90% of Americans self-identified as Christians. You couldn't throw a rock without hitting a Christian. Don't throw rocks though. But in 2007, that number had dropped down to 78%. But by the year 2022, right now, that number is at 64% of our neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family self-identify as Christians. The, the largest growing religious affiliation in America is a, is a group called the Nuns. And no, I don't mean like a charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church where a bunch of nuns are getting saved. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is people with no religious affiliation whatsoever. In 2007, 16% of Americans identified as no religious affiliation. Today, that number has grown to 29%. It's the largest growing religious affiliation in America. And Pew Research, they actually discovered this. They, they believe that if these current trends continue, by the year 2050, America will be less than 50% Christian in their affiliation. That means we are no longer in a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. And very soon, we will be a non-Christian, pre-Christian nation as well. These numbers are, are very startling. But there's one statistic that is heartbreaking more than anything else. And it's this statistic right here, according to Lifeway Research, that 95% of Christians have never led one person to Christ in their lifetime. That 95% of Bible-believing, church-going Christians have never had the opportunity to participate in the Great Commission. The last words Jesus said were to go and make disciples, and 95% of Christians have not yet done that. That 95% of Christians will, will not have the opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer with somebody that they know. They will not have the opportunity to get in the baptism waters and baptize somebody with their last name, their friend or their family, the husband, their wife, their kids. 95% of Christians have not yet led one person to Christ in their lifetime. These statistics are startling. But if you're gonna call redemption home, here's what you need to know, is that redemption is not a statistic, we are a movement. That God has not called us to be normal. God has not called to be average. God has called us to be different. God is stirring something. God is doing something. And if you call redemption home, we will not be a statistic. No, God has called us to be a movement and a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city and region where every man, woman, and child would experience life change through Jesus. We are a movement of Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, servant-hearted, generous, and kind, and and loving and welcoming spirit-filled believers sent as evangelists to seek and to save and to help and to hope and to redeem our community and our region and our world. We are not a statistic. We are a movement here in downtown Beaumont. And that is why evangelism matters so much. And so, so let's talk about evangelism because I think that there's a lot of reasons why we could point the finger about these statistics and trends. We could point our finger at the world. We could point our finger at politics. We could point our finger at TikTok. We could point our finger to the education system. We could blame all sorts of people, Hollywood and their agenda. We could blame all the fallen megachurch pastors and we could blame all these different areas within evangelicalism and we could point our fingers at everything or we could take a look in the mirror. Come on. Because here's the reality. The reality is we have to take ownership of this. Because yeah. it's not everybody else's fault that we're not sharing our faith. That many Christians have not been equipped, taught, nor told that it is essential nor important for them to be evangelists as well. We just expect the pastor to do everything. We just expect the church to do everything. We just expect Air One or K-Love to hopefully magically just fall on the, the, the radio dial and somebody hears the message. No, it's not, it's not all these different things. It's everything working together. It's you, it's me, it's everybody living as evangelists. Because here's the reality is that, is that, is that either you evangelize or the world evangelizes. Because the world is great evangelists. I mean, they're evangelists about everything. They're always evangelizing. They're using media. They're using technology. They're, they're, they have way more money and way more ad revenue than we do. And the question is, 
Who is going to be the better evangelist, the world or the church? Who's gonna be better at making disciples, the world or the church? Who's gonna shape you into who God has called you to be? Are you gonna be shaped into the image of the world or are you gonna be shaped into the image of God? Because everybody is an evangelist. The question is, what are the messages that you're preaching? As a church, we have a message. And what is that message? Life change. That Jesus can change your life no matter who you are, where you're at, no matter who your mama is or what you've done. Everybody, anybody can experience life change. That's the message of the church. And that's the message that we preach and that's the message that we proclaim because we want to be evangelists. So how, how do we do that? Let me give you 11 lessons on evangelism. The first thing you need to understand is this, is that all are called. Last week we saw that Jesus called, how many disciples were there? 12. There were 12. This week, how many is he sending out? 12. Good job, guys. 12. It's like trick question, right? Nope. 12, right? All are called. Every single one of the disciples was called to follow Jesus and then sent out to introduce other people to Jesus. All are called. You know what I'm saying? Something is that nobody gets a hall pass when it comes to evangelism, right? Nobody is exempt when it comes to sharing your faith. Nobody is without excuse. It's not like Jesus called Bartholomew, but then he's like, I'm going to send Thaddeus. It's like, hey, you know, you know, you stay behind. Peter, James, and John, they got this. No, all were called, every single one of them were called to follow Jesus, and they were also being sent out by Jesus. Everyone was called. If you are a Christian, you have a calling. If you are a Christian, you have a calling. We need to get over this idea that as a pastor, like I'm the one who's called and you're not called. Like I'm the one who's special and you're not special. That's just not true. That we are all called. Your calling looks different than mine, but we all have a calling. I'm not more important than you. You know who has the most important job in this church? Ashley, because she has to put up with me. (laughs) But outside of that, hey, my man, come on. (laughs) Outside of that, every single one of us has the most important job in this church. That we are all equally important in the sight of God. Like my calling is to, to preach. Your calling is to live it out. But we all have this same calling. Listen, you can reach more people than I ever could. You can have a greater impact on your sphere of influence than I ever could. You know why? Because in order for for people to hear me, they got to come to the church. But in order for people to hear you, you got to be the church. You go to them. Like there's like 500 people on a Sunday here at Redemption. I could only preach to 500. But if every 500 people were to reach three people in a conversation this week, we could have 1,500 people in a gospel impact across our region. That's way more. That's a multiplication of our efforts. If we all just recognize we're all called. Say, well, what is my calling? I'll tell you. It's very simple. People like, like freak out all the time. Like, God, what is my calling? I just wonder what my calling is. Here's what your call is. Wherever you are, that's where you're at. That's it. And whatever you're doing, that's what God has called you to do. And so if you are a mom, be the best Jesus-loving mom you can be. Right? If If you're a dad, oh, show those kids what the heart of the father looks like. Right? If you're, if you're married, hey, love your spouse like Jesus loves the church. Right? If you, if you work in the, the refineries, then you are his witness. To those men that you work with. If you're, if you're a nurse, you could pray over those patients. You don't have to get all loud and shekinah glory, hallelujah in that place. No, but you can just quietly lay hands on them as you're, as you're changing their medications or checking their scripts or whatever it might be. If you're an educator, you're in school, right? Here's what you do, right? Here's what you do. You just be a great role model and influence for those kids because they're going to remember you for the rest of your life. Right. Wherever you're at, that's where you are. And that's what God has called you to do. Every single one of you is called. We are all equally important. There, God the Father does not play favorites with his kids. He has called each and every one of us for a purpose and a reason. All are called. Number two, every believer is a missionary. See, oftentimes in the, in the church, we have this idea that missionaries are, are those who go overseas. But look here, it says this word, they, he sent them. That, that word missionary means the, the sent one. Like they're, they're being sent out. Jesus is sending them as missionaries. I think, it's a, I think it's a really bad day whenever, as the church, we just think that mission work is overseas work. 
Like, I love missionaries. Like, we support dozens of missionaries. I told you we give away 10% of our budget back into missions. Like, I love missionaries. And some missionaries, they go to Iraq, they go to Africa, they go to Haiti, they, they go to China. And some missionaries, some people, like, they go overseas. But other people, they go across the street. Like, you gotta, you gotta get this. Like, some go overseas, but some go across the street. Yeah, some go to Africa, but some go to parent-teacher conferences. Right, right. Some go to Haiti, but some go to the gym. Right. Some go to, to China. Some go to Starbucks. Right. Right. Some, they, they go to, they, they go to the Middle East. Right. But some, they have a barbecue and they invite their neighbors to their house. Like everybody goes. Some go overseas and some go off the street. But every single believer is a missionary. This is what is known as the Missio Dei. It is the, the mission of God. God is the first missionary. Do you know that? God is the first. Why? Because God the Father sends God the Son, and God the Son comes on a mission. What is his mission? To seek and save the lost and to set the captives free, to die for the sins of the world, to resurrect. He goes to the right hand of the Father, and what does Jesus do? He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and then what does he do? He sends the church out to be his mission. God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son sends God the Spirit, and then God the Spirit sends the church. Every believer is a missionary to continue the Missio Day of God. You are called and you are being sent. Now you're excited to hear the amens coming, which means number three, don't go alone. You're like, I'm ready to go. Not yet, because you can't go by yourself. He sends them out two by two. He's like, that's very interesting. Why would he send them out two by two? Because the way the story of the Bible works is nobody is good on their own. So one thing God said is not good is for people to be alone. And so if God the Father wouldn't let Adam and Eve be alone, he says it's not good for them to be alone, then why would Jesus send his disciples out alone? No, like we're better in teams. We're better in groups. Why, why would we need other people? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, because it, 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 iron sharpens iron. Now, other people are going to help you be stronger, better. They're going to help you be more equipped. You need other people in your life. And number two, it's for accountability, to make sure nobody does anything dumb. And then number three is to help you overcome discouragement. Because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to feel down. You're going to get blue. You're going to be discouraged in life. And so we need other people. And in the church right now, like, like millennials, what they, they said is that for majority of millennials, their favorite way of discipleship is their alone time. Like that's their primary way of discipleship is just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. That's unbiblical. There's no such thing as DIY Christianity. You can't do it yourself. You're going to need other people. And so, so Jesus sends them out two by two. People are like, I just don't need anybody. I just do it by myself. I'm better by myself. People just get in my way. I'm just better by myself. Listen, alone you can go fast, but together we can go far. And you know what? Fast is not always better, guys. We live in a hurry, busy, worry society, but fast is not always better. Fast can lead to breakdown. Fast can lead to burnout. Fast can lead to exhaustion. Fast can lead to shortcuts. Fast can lead to ineffectiveness. Fast can lead to all sorts of dangers in your life. Listen, fast is not better. You know what's better? Better is better, and we are better together. We need other people because alone you can go fast, but together we can go far. When we begin to share our faith as a community, when we grasp this message of life change through evangelism, then your efforts and their efforts and all of ours combined, we are more effective, we are more efficient, our efforts are multiplied, our abilities, our reach, our influence, our impact is better than it could ever be, not by ourselves, but when we are together. Alone, you can go fast. Oh, but together, guys, together, we can go far. Number four, you have an enemy. Jesus is like, I'm sending you out. And they're like, all right, let's go. And Satan hates you. Oh, that's interesting. He said, I called the 12 and he sent them out. Uh-oh, unclean spirits, demons, right? And get nervous. Like, I need you to understand, like, you have, you have an enemy. It's not just you and God. There's good, there's evil, there's light, there's dark. There is a spiritual war that is at play in our society. You have a enemy. When it comes to sharing your faith, you're gonna hit some roadblocks and some obstacles. And the more you begin to share your faith, the more spiritual attacks you're gonna feel. My grandma, she always said it like this, new levels, new devils. 
Because when you start sharing your faith, like what happened? I mean, like I'm, I, I, I'm living the life. I'm sharing the faith. And all of a sudden, I got all of these things happening in my life. Yeah, you know why? Because when you, before you started living the life, you were not a threat to Satan. He loves it when you just sit in the seat and don't do nothing. He's like, I don't got to worry about them. But the moment that you get up and you start living the life that Jesus has for you is the moment that you become a threat to him. And the more you advance the kingdom of God, the more opposition you'll experience from the kingdom of darkness. You have a real enemy. Jesus loves you. Satan hates you. He will attack you and he will try to take you out. Our entire society, there is a principality that the Bible would say that has blinded the, the eyes of our age. People are blind to the truth. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You wonder why every TikTok comment section is so toxic when it comes to Christianity. You know why? Because those people have believed a lie of the spirit of the age. You wonder why woke ideology is the way that it is and people are claiming that evangelism is terrorism. You ever wonder why that every other religion, it's okay for them to talk about, but the moment you begin to talk about Jesus, people start getting offended. You don't ever wonder why it's that way? It's because there is a enemy that has blinded an entire generation. But you got to grasp something, guys, is that people are not our enemy. The enemy is our enemy. People are not our enemy. Like you can't share the good news with a bad attitude. You're never going to be able to reach a person you do not love. And so if you're just like hating people who don't agree with you, you will never reach them because they will never listen to you. People are not your enemy. You can't hate somebody into the love of God. People are not your enemy. The enemy is your enemy, and so you should love people and resist the devil. You have a real enemy, and it's not people. It's what is at work behind the people. It's what has deceived them and, and bound them and blinded them. So you know what we do? We pray, we love, and we bless people and we resist the devil. Which leads to number five, you have authority. He says, I have given you authority over the unclean spirits. You don't have to be fearful or afraid. You don't have to run. You don't have to cower. You don't have to retreat. You don't have to, you know, like do anything to like just say, oh God, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. It's so horrible. Like you don't have to do any of that stuff. No, you don't, you don't have to do it. You know, here's what you do. You just pray and you plead the blood and you intercede and you just keep on praying. Why? Because you have authority. You have a delegated spiritual authority that Jesus has given to you to overcome the works of darkness, both in your life and in other people's lives. See, the Bible refers to the church as a lot of different things. Sometimes the Bible refers to the church as a family, as a bride, or as a body. But the, the Bible also refers to the church as an army. That the church is not a cruise ship for the socialization of saints, but rather it is a battleship for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And for so long, there have been too many Christians who have just been sitting back wearing their flip-flops and singing kumbaya when God wants you to get up and put your boots on and share the gospel. Right, we got to put our boots on as a church and exercise the dominion and the authority that Jesus has given to us. Listen, that you live life on mission because you know life is a war. Jesus came on a mission. What is a mission? A mission is a battle. A mission is a strategy. A mission is a war. And we live on mission because we know that this life is war. Romans refers to people as prisoners and as slaves to sin. They are across enemy lines. And Jesus has come to defeat the enemy. And it's the church's job to run to the enemy's camp and to take back what Satan stole and to bring it back into the kingdom of God. That is our job. We live on mission because we know life is war. And heaven and hell and destinies and eternities are on the line, guys. This matters. This matters. Number six, we trust that God provides. Look what he says here. This is, this is so fascinating. I love it. And he charged them to take nothing for this journey except for a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Fascinating. Here's what Jesus says. I'm sending you out to be evangelists, to help people experience life change. And they're like, all right, Jesus, can we get some money? No money. Can we get some food? No food. Can we at least get a bag? Why? You ain't got no money nor no food. You don't need no bag. <laughs> well, what do we get? He said, you get um, a pair of shoes and the clothes on your back. 
Now, some people read this and they're like, well, that just goes to show that, that, that you know, like, Jesus just wants you to be poor. You know, like, Jesus was a socialist. He just wants you to be poor. I mean, everybody just shares everything. He just wants to be poor. That's not what it says. Jesus doesn't care about whether you're rich or poor. Here's what God cares about. Do you trust that he can provide for you? That God would be their provision, that God would be their source, that God would be their strength, that God would be the one they depend on, and that God would be the one they rely on, and that God would be the one that would bring the success in their ministry efforts. Do you trust that God provides? This is the story of Redemption Church. You know, me and Ashley, we moved here from New York six years ago, moved back home, and God placed a, a heart to start this new church. Here's the problem, though. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any building. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have anybody. We didn't have any people. We didn't even have a clue. We didn't even know what we were doing, but we knew God called us to do something. So we started a a Bible study in a small group. People just started joining. And as people started joining, the church started growing, but we still didn't have a building. So the, 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 the news actually ran a story on us. They called us the nomad church because we didn't have, we didn't have a place to meet. I mean, we met in coffee shops and restaurants and bars. I'm looking around. I see people from those early days still here as a part of this church. I mean, you remember when we were meeting at Rayo's Bakery or we're meeting at apartments in Old Town. You remember whenever we were meeting at 519 Church or multiple churches, Fellowship Church. You remember when all these other churches would let us in because we didn't have any place to have church at. And we just met anywhere that we could. We even had outdoor services here downtown at the park. I mean, we just did the best that we can with what we had. But we didn't have anything. And then God opened the door for us to open our church in a dirty, smelly old bar downtown called Crocker Street. <laughs> and that's where we started our church at. We didn't have, we had a building or what they called a building, but we didn't have it, any money. And so a friend of mine, I'll never forget, he, he called me one day and he said, hey, Byron, could you come to Houston? I, I want to meet. So I drove to Houston. I met this guy at his church and he cut us a check for $30,000 to open the doors of our church, $30,000. If it wasn't for that man's generosity and God's great provision, I don't believe all these stories of life change would happen. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that man's generosity. But God just continues to do this. After Crockett Street closed, we were evicted and we had about five months, four months to come up and find a new place. Our church went from 100 people down to like 40 people in a couple of months because we had no building. And we need to raise $60,000 in 60 days to be able to move in here. And the people were giving the best they could, but we, we still weren't able to be able to make the renovations possible. And then Steak and Shake off of Dallin and Crow Road bought what was an old Assemblies of God church. And they tore down Parkdale Assembly Church. They gave the money through that cell. The Assemblies of God turned around and gave us $50,000 to finish the renovations. This is the church that Steak and Shake and Jesus built. Come on. So next time you go to Steak and Shake, say praise Jesus, right? Shame the devil and eat a burger, right? <laughs> say, hmm, it just tastes like freedom. <laughs> tastes like life change through Jesus. I love it. I love it. But God just shows up and God just continues providing. And like we just bought the entire city block and we were, we were going to renovate 21,000 square feet where the future of our church is going to be 600 seat auditorium on the other side of this building. And you know what? God's going to provide for that one too. Because here's the thing, whenever you're living a life as a witness, God always provides where he guides. Like if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. Like where God guides, God will provide. All you gotta do is trust in him and believe in him and step out in faith and watch God begin to show up in your life. You know why? Because God loves your friend more than you do. God loves your family more than you do. God loves your brother and your sister more than you do. God loves that person in your office more than you do. God loves this city more than we do. God loves this region more than we do. God loves others more than we do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if God has called you to reach somebody, if God has placed a name on your heart, if God has called you to be his witness, listen, God is going to make the way possible. God is going to give you the means. He's going to give you the resources. He will protect you. He will guide you and he will provide you. You just step out in faith and trust and believe that he is who he is. Where God guides, God will provide. Number seven, grow where you are planted. Here's what it says next. It says, and when you enter into a house, stay there until you depart from there. See, in those days, uh, hospitality was so important. She's like, hey, go and, 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 and evangelize and preach and proclaim the gospel and somebody's gonna let you in your house and when you go there, you just hang out there for a while. Stay there until you're done. 
See, hospitality then was a really big deal. If somebody welcomed you home, that was like the highest honor that they could give you to come stay at their house, to cook for you, to prepare a meal for you, to give you a place to stay. And what Jesus is saying is like, when somebody opens their home, you stay there as long as you can until it's time for you to move to the next place. But don't just get up and hop around and move around everywhere to go in different places and different houses. So well, why, why would that be important for us here in 2023? I mean, like people don't like welcome us into their homes. Like that's weird. Right? If somebody knocks on my door, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> right? Hey, could I stay at your house? No, but you can stay at three hots in a cotton jail, right? Like I'm just get away, get off my property, right? Why don't you just like, why are you trying to call me? Text me like a normal person so I can ignore it. Like just, I just want to keep people away from me as much as possible. So well, what, is this, what does this have to do with us here in Southeast Texas? Like when somebody lets you into their home, stay there until you have to leave there. What are you talking about? I think the warning here is for church hoppers. It's a warning for people who move from place to place without ever developing real relationships. It's a warning for people who jump from ministry to ministry, church to church, pastor to pastor. Because here's the thing is that if you want to be effective in evangelism, you got to get some deep roots if you want to produce some good fruits. And there's some lessons you only learn from longevity. When you're staying at a place long enough to see the fruit of your labor and the rewards of the harvest that you've invested in. Like if you're jumping around from church service to church service and Bible study to Bible study and place to place and ministry to ministry, if you're jumping around from all these different places, you're never gonna be around long enough to be able to see the, the fruit of your labor or the reward of that harvest. You gotta stay planted. You gotta dig down some roots. You gotta be able to get your hands dirty. You gotta get over some offense if you want to see the, if you want to see the, the fruit of what you have invested in. You gotta be somewhere long enough to be able to see the rewards of your labor. Deep roots, my friends, deep roots produce good fruit. If you want to see some good fruit, I mean, how is it even when you're like inviting your friends to church, you're like, hey, I would love for you to come to church with me. I go to Redemption Church. Awesome. And the next week, hey, I would love for you to go to church with me. I go to this church. I go to that church. Like, what church do you go to, my man? Like, where do I show up on Sunday? I don't even know because you're never at the same place long enough to be able to see your friends get saved. Like, if you want to see some good fruit in your life, grow where you're planted, dig down some roots and and love and serve that church by getting your hands dirty. And then you stay there as long as you can until you can no longer stay there. And then Jesus has the right to move you to somewhere else. But until Jesus calls you to go, stay. Because deep roots produce good fruits, my friend. Which leads to number eight, is don't take it personal. This is so important. He says, and if a place does not receive you and they will not listen to you, what do you do? You just shake off the dust and you move on. This is, this is so, one of the reasons why people don't feel confident sharing their faith is because they're worried about what other people think about them. What if they, what if they don't like me? What if they reject me? What if they call me names? What if they make fun of me? What, what, if, what, if, they don't, what if they don't accept Jesus? Listen, people are not accepting you as their savior. You're just the messenger. You're not the Messiah. Don't take it personal. People aren't rejecting you just because they don't accept Jesus. Like you're not their savior. You're not anybody's savior. And sometimes the more you try to change a person, the more you push them away from the one who can. People are not accepting you as their savior. I know you love them. I know you pray for them. I know you want the best for them. But we need to understand something, especially as Christians, because sometimes Christians, they're like, I want to be like Jesus, and then they form a savior complex. And they think, I have to save everybody. You can't save anybody. You can't change anybody. All you can do is introduce them to the person who can. But their soul is not your responsibility. Like, do you know how hard it is to carry the weight of somebody else's soul? God has never asked you to do that. God has never asked you to die for somebody's sins. That's why he sent Jesus. Sometimes you need to get off the cross and let Jesus get on the cross for somebody else's life. You're not their hero. You're not their savior. You're not their God. You ain't the Holy Spirit. And their soul is not for yours to save. So stop taking it so personally. You pray for them. You love them, you bless them, you care for them. You're just, you're just the middleman. Hey, you're, you're, the, you're the messenger. You, you're not the Messiah. I remember early in my Christian walk, 
I was just serving for the very first time. I joined the small group. I was a, I was a, I was a, I was a ninth grade boys small group leader. Worst decision that church ever made was trusting me with some kids. <laughs> and there was, uh, there was, there was uh, this one kid that the, the youth pastor brought in and said, hey, I need you to introduce this kid. Like, Byron, you're the only one who can save him. You're the only one. Like heaven and hell depend on your relationship with this kid. And I remember thinking as a brand new Christian, I'm like, I have to do everything I can for this kid. And so I would pick him up from school. I would take him out to lunch. I mean, I was doing all the things. And, and, and this, this, I, I, for a year, and then the kid just stopped going to church. He stopped answering the call. Right? He stopped showing up. And I just remember how heartbroken I was. And I thought I failed him. I let, I let God down. I let the church down. I let this kid down. And then I realized how unfair it was for that pastor to put me in that position. It was not, it was brand, that was not my responsibility. I am not responsible for anybody's soul or salvation. That's between him and God. Your soul is not my responsibility. I can care for you. I can be your pastor. I can create opportunities for you to invite friends to hear the message of Jesus. Every single week, I will give an opportunity for salvation. Our prayer team will be up front to pray over people for whatever need that they have. But ultimately, it's between them and God. And all I can do is introduce people to Jesus and he's the one who saves them. You say, well, does that mean I don't have to share my faith? No, it does mean you have to share your faith. That's actually why we have to share our faith. Because you gotta stop trying to change and save people. And so point them to Jesus and stop pointing them to yourself because he can save them. I read a statistic from Crew Ministries. It's a, it's a college ministry. And, and here's what they've discovered that on the college campuses that it takes 22 unique gospel conversations before a person will receive an invitation to come to church. 22 unique conversations. That means for that person that you love and they're not accepting Christ, maybe you're not the one who's gonna lead them to Christ. Maybe it's somebody else who does it. Are you okay with that? I mean, we should be praying and we should be doing our part, but you recognize that you're not the only person in that person's life. You're not the only person who's an evangelist. You're not the only person that they work with or that is their family. You're not the only person that they're gonna come in contact with at the grocery store. You don't know how or who God is gonna use in that person's life. You don't know. You might be the first person to share Jesus with them. You might be the fourth person to share Jesus with them. You might be the fifth person, the 16th person, the 21st person. And maybe somebody else would be the 22nd person. But you know what? The kingdom of God is really big. And there's a lot of us. And if we all adopt this value of evangelism, then everybody will have an opportunity to meet Jesus. Which leads us to number nine. It's to do what you're told. I, I love this. Jesus says, go out, proclaim the gospel, preach, heal sick people, cast out some demons. And you know what they did? They went out, they preached the gospel, they healed the sick, and they cast out some demons. They did what they were told. Right? And they were like, I don't know, Jesus, can I do it? Jesus like, I told you to do it, now go. Do it. Do it. And they went out and they, they did it. That's amazing. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And then Jesus showed up and he did exactly what he said that he was going to do. They obeyed and they trusted and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus miraculously showed up in their life. I absolutely, incredibly, I love this. Now, some people, you're like, but I'm just not ready. I'm just not strong enough. I'm just not bold enough. I'm an introvert. I don't really feel like I'm supposed to share my faith. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't feel like I can share my faith. I need to take some more classes. I think I just, I, you know, what I really need to do is I, I need to go to college. I need to get an education. Like, I, if I can just go to one more small group, if I come to one more church service, maybe next year I'll be ready to step out and share my faith. Listen, you will never be ready. You will never be mature enough. You'll never have all of the answers. You're like, but I just want to grow in my faith. Okay, let me tell you how you grow in your faith. The best way for you to grow in your faith is for you to share your faith with others. 
Like this principle works in every area of our lives. Like when you get excited about something, the more people you tell, the more excited about it you get. The more passionate you become about something, the more people you tell, the more passionate that you become about that thing. Like my, my administrative assistant, Amaris, like she just got engaged and her entire Instagram feed is nothing but her holding things, showing off her ring. She's like, look at this coffee. And it's the ring, right? She's like, oh, look at this. You know, and it's the ring. And she, she'll, she'll, she'll come into the office and she'll like, hey, pastor, here's that, here's that paperwork you were looking for. And then it's just the ring right in front of me. And I'm like, I get it. You lo- you're in love. You're getting married. I understand. I get it. Now knock it off. You're making me sick, right? <laughs> but what happens, like she's passionate. And then what happens? That passion begins to show to others around her, right? Why? Because the more you share something you love, the more you begin to love the thing that you share. It's the same way with our relationship. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Start telling some other people about Jesus. You want to grow in your love for Jesus? How about you start telling other people about Jesus? Right? You want to grow in your faith? Here's how you do it. You start just telling other people about who Jesus is. Because you're going to grow, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be motivated, and you're like, but what if, but what if they, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Okay, well, guess what? You're going to go home, and you're going to study, and then you're going to grow. You're like, but I don't know the answers. Listen, I don't know the answers either. There's this great website, it's called Google. You can look it up, right? I mean, that's where I get my sermons from, but you know, (laughs) it's just a joke, but here we go. But here we go, is that is that the more you tell people about Jesus, the more passionate you become about Jesus. The more you talk about Jesus, the more passionate you become about Jesus because, because, because when you give your faith away, God always gives you a little bit more. The more you share, the more God gives. The more you give away, the more God gives back. Which leads to number 10 is, is to tell your story. Look down at verse 12, very important word. Here's what it says. Repent. You ever heard that word? Repent. It's a very important word. Now, in our society, it has a really bad rap. People are like, I don't like that word, repentance. I don't like repent because it reminds me of my grandmother's Baptist preacher from whenever I was a kid. And it was just like, turn or burn or die or fry. My whole, my whole childhood experience was like just some old man yelling at me. And now I'm standing here and there's a young man yelling at me, right? And so I, I, don't, I don't like that word, repent. But you need to understand something is that repent is not a bad word. Repent is actually the good news. It it is the message of Jesus. The message is not God loves you. It's not the message. It's part of the message, but it's not the message. The message is not God has a great plan for your life. That's not the message. It's a part of the message, but it's not the message. The message is this. God loves you and has a great plan for your life, and he wants to forgive you of your sins, so now turn and trust in him. That's the message. So how do we teach people repentance when it's so oftentimes met with resistance. I think here, here's, the, here's, here's the lesson we learn is this, is that people can argue with a lot of things. They can argue about you know, the, the seven days of creation. They could argue about the book of Revelation. They could argue about gender and sexuality and they can argue about culture and they can nitpick all these different things. But those are really just distractions to keep them from thinking about the main thing. What is the main thing? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? They're, those are just diversions. We got to get back to who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus? And so one of the best ways that you can tell people who Jesus is, is by telling people your story. Because people can argue with apologetics. People can argue with philosophy. People can argue with all sorts of things. But you know what they have a really hard time arguing about? Your own story. Like how, do you, how do you explain this? Look, here's my life. Here's who I was when I met Jesus. Here's who, here's who I was. Here's what was going on. Here's what I was struggling with. Here, here's where I was at. And then, and then I met Jesus. And while I'm not perfect, and I'm still in process, and I'm not yet who I want to be, but I ain't, no, I ain't who I used to be. And God's been doing a work in my life. And I want you to come along this journey with me. That's what repentance is. The word means to to change, it's metanoia, to change, to change your direction. And so you, you go to a person and say, I, I, I just, I, I'm going in this direction, will you come with me? Here, here's who Jesus is and here's what Jesus has done. Hey, I would love it if you would come on this journey with me. And you invite them to repent of their sins and to change and to begin heading their life in a different direction. And yes, 
you can try to debate, but I've personally in my life never debated somebody into heaven. Just haven't. But I have debated people into a hard heart. I have argued people to the point to where they didn't want to listen to what I said anymore. I believe apologetics has a place. And I believe oftentimes that place is to encourage Christians. I believe that every YouTube video apologetic philosophy message has its place in academia and Christianity. And you should all go buy an apologetic book and you should study to show yourself approved. But here's also what I know, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimonies. Your story is so powerful. And so tell people your story. This is who I was. This is who Jesus is. And this is what God is doing in my life. And then lastly, number 11 is to step back and to watch God move. Jesus says, hey, go and preach and proclaim and cast out some demons and heal the sick. And so they go and they preach and they proclaim and they cast out some demons. And what does it say? And they healed the sick. Like when they stepped out, that's when God showed up. Like you do the stuff, you do the things. Like you follow this list, you, you go down, the, you do the stuff and then watch, God shows up and God shows up and God will begin to change some lives. You go out and God shows up and you step back and you watch God move in another person's life. So the disciples, here's what they do. It starts off last week with community. God began to work inside of them as they chose to follow after Jesus. In Mark chapter three, God began to stir up. God began to do something. God began to call them and they chose to spend time and to follow him. And then three chapters later, God then, he sends them out. And here's what we need to know is that what God does in you, God wants to do through you. When God begins to work in you, he doesn't want it to stay as a container of his grace, but rather he wants you to be a conduit of his grace to the world around you. What God does in you, God wants to begin to do through you. What God has placed inside of you, he wants it to pour out into the world around you as God begins to move in your heart. You gotta step out in faith and you gotta move with him. You gotta watch God move. At the beginning of the sermon, I, I told you this. I, I said that redemption is not a statistic. 95% of Christians have yet to lead one person to Jesus. And I know that there's been prayer meetings. Oh, I know that you prayed. I know that you got your little journal out and you wrote all their names. I know that you're listening to worship music in your car. I know those things. I know that you pray. I know that you believe. I know you come the first Wednesdays and you pray. But it may be just maybe that while we're waiting on a move of God, maybe God's waiting for a move of us. Yeah. Yeah. Say, I'm just praying for God to move. That's great. But what if you are the answer to somebody else's prayer? Maybe the way God is going to move is by moving you. You're praying for a move of God. Maybe God is waiting for a move of man. Maybe God is waiting for a move of the church. Maybe God is waiting for men and women to take the mantle of evangelism, to spread the hope and the message and the good news of Jesus, both locally and globally from Beaumont and beyond. Maybe redemption, we are waiting on a move of God. Or maybe redemption, God is waiting for a move of us. How does God work in people's lives? In many ways, but his favorite way is through us. Maybe we're waiting on a move of God. Or maybe God is waiting for a move of us. At Redemption Church, every year, at the end of the year, I always give a challenge. And it's, the, it's called the one challenge. And tonight or today is my day to issue the one challenge for the next year. So well, what is the one challenge? The one challenge is that we would be different. The one challenge is that we would be unique. The one challenge is that we would not be a statistic. So what is the one challenge? Here's what the one challenge is. The one challenge is that everyone gets one. 
So what does that mean? If 95% of Christians have not led one person to Jesus, 2023 is your year to get your one. When I asked at the beginning to raise your hand, if you know somebody who does not yet know Jesus, you raise your hand, immediately God began to put somebody on your heart and mind. That's your one. That's the person God wants you to spend this year praying for. Spend your year building intentional relationships with. To spend your year taking out to coffee, to having conversations. That's your one. Would you, would you pray for that person every single day? Write their name on your bathroom mirror. Put in a note on your phone. Maybe in your car. Pray for your one. Would you, would you commit to fasting for them? Skipping lunch on Wednesdays. Sitting in your car and worshiping and praying for their salvation. Who's your one? I'm not asking you to change the city. I'm not asking you to change the world. I'm not asking you to solve world hunger or to bring world peace. I'm just asking you, would you pray for one person? One person. That's it, just one person. And if everybody gets one, could you imagine the impact that we could have? Everyone gets one. If you're here today and maybe you're new, maybe it's your first time or first time in a long time and you had a friend who just kept bugging you, hey, come into redemption with me, come into redemption with me, come into redemption with me. And eventually you relented and you're like, okay, fine, I'll go to redemption, but you're taking me out to lunch afterwards. And you agreed to come to church today. You know why that person loved you enough to invite you here? It's because I think that you're their one. My one came to church last week. It was his first time in five years. But he came. My one last year was when I got to baptize my mom. After 50 years of growing up as the son of an alcoholic and an addict, I got to baptize my mom. That's my one. But I'm not content with one. I want one. I want one every year. I want one every week. Jesus loves the one. How much does Jesus love the one? He left the 99. Let's go get the one. Who's your one?